0: I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of How to Win Podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Listen, I am so happy to have you with us today. This is Tuesday. Oh, we're going to be talking about something today that's going to change your life forever. Tag a friend. Let them know we're live on Facebook, live on YouTube. Listen, listen, you can get this information on different platforms, but you're going to be blessed. I hope you got your pen, your pad, uh, your cell phone uh, where you take notes. But I want you to I want you to get this lesson because it's going to change your life today. Now, we've been talking began in our last session, a series entitled mixing faith with God's word, mixing faith with God's word. This is our second lesson. Now, our background text for the overall series is Hebrews chapter four, verse two. And I'm going to read it to you from the King James, the new King James version. It says, for indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The Bible says that the nation of Israel at this point, heard the gospel. They heard the good news, but the author says that the good news, the gospel, did not profit them. Which implies that God intends for His word to bring us profit. Word profit means to benefit. It means to have an advantage. It means to be better off. But their lives wasn't better. Their lives were not better off. Uh, they did not have an advantage. Because they heard the word, but they didn't mix faith with what they heard. And we're talking about mixing faith with God's word. In lesson one, in our last session, we talked about, I I gave you an illustration of how my wife, when she bakes a cake, she uses a hand mixer. And the hand mixer has parts. It has the handle to the hand mixture, has the body of the hand mixture, the enclosure that, that clothes the batteries. Then it has a switch on and off switch. And then finally, it has two mixer beaters that actually mixes the ingredients. Now we're talking about mixing, not physical, natural ingredients, but we're talking about taking what God says and mixing it together with our faith. And so we're actually looking at this spiritual hand mixer, a spiritual hand mixer. And it has four parts. We're going to talk about focus, foundation, process, development. Focus, foundation, process, and development so in session one lesson one we talked about focus how our focus must be has to be in god mark 11 22 says have faith in god so that was in lesson one lesson two today our theme is going to be this second part the foundation And our subtopic, our main topic for this particular lesson is, whose words are you standing on? Whose words are you standing on? Now, at the end of this lesson, I am hopeful that you will be able to answer that question. Whose words are you standing on? Our background text or our scriptural Bible text for this lesson is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. It's the parable that Jesus told about the two houses. There were two men who built two houses, and the storm came to both houses, and one house was built on a rock and it stood, made it through the storm. One house was built on sand. The storm came and the house fell. This parable is also found in Luke chapter six, verse 46 through 49. So I want to read it, the text to you from Matthew's account. Verse 24, Matthew seven says, therefore, whoever hears the sayings of mine, now Jesus is speaking, and does them. I will like him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. He built his house. This is a parable now. So God, Jesus Christ, is taking a natural illustration and he's explaining a spiritual truth. So this house that the man built is your life or your situation or your dream, your life, your situation, or your dream. And you, believer, are the builder. And the Bible says that this man, this wise man, built his house on a rock and the rain descended. The floods came and the winds beat on that house. And here's the beautiful reality of the house built on the rock. And it did not fall, for it was founded. The foundation was a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, Jesus says, I will like him to a foolish man who built his house on the stand on sand and watch this, the same situation, the same storm, the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So this, you are the builder The house is your life, your situation, or your dream. And the winds and the floods and and the rains represents the challenges that we face in life, the storms that we face in life, the difficulties that we face in life. And the scripture says that our life or our situation or our dream will end up either in failure or success. So let's talk about this foundation. Let's talk about a foundation in general because we're asking the question, whose words are you standing on? So let's talk about a foundation. This is the second part of our our track to uh, mix faith with God's word. A foundation is the base or the support upon which something stands is the underlining support. The base, that's what a foundation is, the base or support upon which something stands. For example, if you're listening to this podcast now in your home or your apartment or your condo, wherever you you're dwelling, then there's a foundation. That house that you're sitting in listening to this podcast has a foundation, or maybe you're at work. The building that you're in at work has a foundation before they constructed that building. there was a foundation that was laid, or maybe you're driving along and you're listening to this podcast in your car. Well, the street that you're driving on, the highway that you're driving on, uh, the the pavement that you're driving your car on, before they built that road, they went in and established a foundation so that it would support the weight of the car, the bus, or the truck that uh, you are uh, riding in right now. So we're talking about a foundation. And in this parable there are two foundations. One foundation is a foundation of sand. The other foundation is a rock foundation. Two situations in juxtaposition. We have a sand foundation and we have a rock foundation. Now, really remember, Jesus is speaking to our lives. He's speaking to us using a a natural illustration to il- to communicate spiritual truths. And I'm telling you, it's very important what he's saying. Now, listen, let's talk about the sand foundation. You and I are either building our life, our situation or our dream on sand or on a rock. So what is the sand? Let's talk about the sand first. The sand represents three things the sand is either human reasoning human emotions or cultural norms human reasoning human emotions or cultural norms when we say human reason we're talking about logic we're talking about human logic some people are building their lives off human reasoning human logic, or we call it common sense. Common sense. Or they're building their lives on human emotions. Human emotions represents feelings. It's how you and I feel about a situation. If it feels good, then it must be good. So some people are actually building their lives and their decisions and their situations on how they feel, their, their feelings, their emotions. And then thirdly, the sand represents cultural norms. Think about that, cultural norms. Now, what are cultural norms? Well, what I'm talking about here is the world's, present way, the world's present way of thinking, believing, and acting, cultural norms, the world's present way of thinking, the world's present way of believing, the world's present way of acting. And I say I'm definite and I qualify present way because, Cultural norms and culture change. I'm sixty-seven years old, and the way people think today are different than the way people thought when I was a teenager, or when I was a a, a young adult, or when I was a child. For example. Cultural norms change. I'm teaching on our Thursday edition, and you gotta catch our Thursday edition, I'm talking on uh, dating intelligence. And what I'm contrasting is the cultural norm of the world versus the biblical perspective of God. So for example, in the world's way of thinking, Sexual expression and sexual involvement is very much a part of the dating experience. It's common sense. It's the way people think. In other words, you need to test drive the individual before you really commit to that person. Well, that's the cultural norm. That's the way people think. When you get to the Bible and God's perspective, well, sex would be totally excluded from uh, a dating relationship. Let's move over into marriage. There's the world's way of thinking, cultural norm, the world's way of believing, the world's way of acting, cultural norm, and then there's God's way. Let's look at marriage. Culturally speaking, the cultural norm in our Society today is is permissible, in fact, is wise to live together before you get married. We use a, a, a term, we call it shacking, but a more nicer term would be cohabitation. So that's a cultural norm. It's human reason. It makes sense for me to test drive, before I buy into it. You know, you buy a car, you wanna test drive it. You wanna test drive it. So you live together, you decide whether you want to get married or you decide whether this is just best for us to, to, to be together and not be married. And naturally sex is a part of that because you would not want to marry or get close to someone and you hadn't test drive it. So you got to have sex. No one would marry anyone without having sex. That's common sense. God's way of doing things is you don't test-drive it. That's right. No, you don't have sex before you get married because God realizes that great relationships and great sex is built on a relationship, a healthy relationship. So God wants us to work on the relationship. And God says the sex will be good. So you're trusting God, but the sand, most people and unfortunately Christians are building their lives, their situations and their dreams on sand. It's on sand human reasoning, logic, common sense. And when you start talking Bible, nobody believes that that's outdated. Who believes that kind of stuff? Well, the Bible is clear. When you build your life, your dream, your situation on sand, human reasoning, logic, common sense, human emotions, how I feel about it, and cultural norms, then the Bible says when the storms of life come, you will have failure. Well, let's talk about the rock. The rock is three things also. The rock is positioning. The rock is hearing God's word. And the rock is practicing. Positioning, hearing, and practicing. Positioning, hearing, and practicing. Now, I, you know, I've asked people, sometimes I'll talk to a, a pastor or I talk to a minister. And when I talk to the pastor or the minister, uh, usually they want to know my beliefs as it relates to vision. And I always say that your vision must be based off of a directive from God, what God is saying to you. And I always take them to Luke chapter six, verse 46 through 49, or Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And I always bring this parable out and I ask them, pastors, ministers, and other believers, what is the rock? What is the rock? The Bible says that this wise man built his house on a rock. So what is the rock? And here's what people say. They say, well, the rock is Jesus. And I say to them, no, it's not. I said, no. And that shakes people when I say the rock is not Jesus. Well, I'm talking about in the context, we know Jesus is the foundation of the church. We know Jesus is the head of the church. We're talking about in this parable, what is the rock? And the rock is not Jesus. Some say, well, being a Christian Well, the rock is not being a Christian, because when you look at the lives of Christians, you see failure. You see Christians going through storms and they fall flat. Well, the Bible says when you build on a rock, you make it through the storm without falling. Well, it couldn't be just being saved, being a Christian. Well, it's not church membership. It's not serving in the church. Well, I know what it is. It's being a good person. A rock is a good person. Think about all the good people. Christians love Jesus, may even be spirit-filled Christians, talking tongue, hear situations and fall flat. So it couldn't be that. So if we allow the Bible to interpret itself, we know exactly what the rock is. It is verse 47. It is Luke 6, 47. Whosoever cometh and heareth, And do these things of mine. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, whoever hears what I have to say, and whoever does it, he says, this is a wise person. So the rock is positioning, is positioning yourself to hear what God has to say on the matter. Position yourself in prayer, position yourself in your quiet time, position yourself to get in place to hear, whether in your personal time, whether in church, uh, wherever it is, you're going to position yourself to hear what God has to say. Then, hearing, positioning, hearing. You have to hear what God says. And then, once you hear what God says, then you have to practice, you have to put it into practice hearing, positioning, hearing, and practicing. And the Bible says that you'll go through the storms of life. Didn't say you wouldn't have storms. Didn't say you wouldn't have tests. Didn't say you wouldn't have challenges. Didn't say you wouldn't have difficulties. It, It doesn't say at any place that a Christian can live without having challenges. That's not in the Bible. All of us, no matter how saved we are, we're going to have the Tests and challenges. Jesus says in the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That is beautiful. We are overcomers. We, we are, we triumph, which means we have a contest. We're overcome, which means there's something we have to overcome. We are victorious, which means there's a battle. But if we will position here and do the word, it will take us through. That's the foundation. That's the rock foundation. Is coming to Jesus, coming to the word, hearing the word, and practicing the word. That is the rock. Now, I want to give you two statements that we're going to build on the rest of the way. Two statements. And, and these are power statements. I think I'll give them to you. I'll give them to you in the beginning, and then I'll come back and develop each one of them. Here's the first statement. God works in the lives of his children through his word. Make a note of that. Write that down. God works in the lives of of his children through his word. That's the first statement. Then we're going to come back. The second statement that we're going to look at, strong faith is built upon a revelation of the authority, integrity, and power of God's word. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to say it behind me, wherever you are. If you can say it quietly, you may not be in a place where you can say it out loud, but I want you to say this quietly after me. Strong faith, come on, say it. Strong faith is built upon a revelation of the authority, integrity, and power of God's word. That's a powerful statement. Strong faith is built upon a revelation of the authority, integrity, and power of God's word. So let's walk through these two statements the rest of the way. And we're talking about mixing faith with God's word. This is lesson two. And our subtopic is whose words are you standing on? Now you should you should understand the title, the subtitle, why we chose that title. Whose words are you standing on? Are you standing on the words of human reasoning, the words of your feelings, or the words of the culture? Whose words are you standing on? Or are you standing on God's word? These sayings of mine. So let's look at these these statements. Number one, God works through the lives of his children through his word. Now I'm going to expand that statement now that we, we're going to develop it. God works in the lives of his children through his word. Parenthesis promises, directives, spiritual realities. So when we say God works in the lives of his children through his word. We're talking about his promises, his directives, and spiritual realities. So I'm going to put that together for you. God works in the lives of his people through his promises, his directives, and spiritual reality. So we're expanding what that word, word of God means. Now, here's my proof text. We go back to Matthew 7, 24. Jesus says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. So God works through his sayings. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. First, second Peter chapter one, verse four. Second Peter chapter four, verse one. It says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, these promises we're made partakers of God's divine nature. Oh, that's so good. Now let's, 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 let's get, down into this because the Bible says God gives us exceeding great and precious promises that by these exceeding great and precious promises, we partake of his divine nature and his divine nature's abundance. So God works in the lives of his children. If you're a believer, God is going to work in your life through his word. God is going to work in your life through, number one, his promises, number two, his directives, number three, spiritual realities. Now let's look at this. What are God's promises? God's promises are the written or uh, verbal declaration that he gives to you in the Bible or Holy Spirit declarations that will either bind him to do something or forbear doing it. Now, I'll give that to you again. God's promises in the word is his written declaration. What he says in the Bible, his written declaration, or his verbal declarations, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So God speaks to us through his written word, but he speaks to us through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And these declarations, whether it's the written word or whether it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, bind God to either do something or forbear doing something because a promise is a declaration of what one will do or not do in the future. So God works in his children in the lines of his promises. For example, God said in Luke 6:38, give and it'll be given to you. That's a promise. Give and it shall be given to you. He's declaring something that he will do or something that will happen in the future. That's a promise. Another promise is Mark 11, 24. It says, what things of your desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. So G- God promises that if you'll believe that you receive your desire, when you pray, he promises you'll have it. Another promise, James 4, 8. The Bible says, draw not a God, he'll draw not a you. Draw not a God. He'll draw nigh to you. As you press in to be close to God, God will press in and be close to you. Those are promises. Declarations of what one will do or not do in the future. So God works in the lives through his promises. He also works in the lives of his children through his, watch this now, his directives. His directives, are what God is instructing us to do, where God is instructing us to go. Directives. He gives us directives, either in the word or by his spirit. These directives, he communicates to us what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go. So God works in the lives of his children through directives. Now, listen carefully. Now, I want you to listen carefully because I'm getting ready to get into some heavy. God also works in the lives of his children through spiritual realities. Now, a spiritual reality is different than a promise, different than a directive. A spiritual reality is a revelation of an event or an action that has already taken place. It is the revelation Oh, this is good now, but you got to listen to me. It is a revelation of a action or an event that has already taken place. It's a spiritual reality. It's not a promise. Promises, promises, promises have to do with the future. Spiritual reaction, realities, the action has already taken place. Now, here's a powerful insight. You got to get this. You got to get this. And I call a series called It Is Finished. And you'll find all this in that series, It Is Finished. But now listen at this. The revelations of the finished work of Jesus, the revelation of the finished work of Jesus is in the New Testament, and the revelation of the believer's inheritance is in the New Testament, and the predominant theme of these revelations of Jesus' redemptive work and the believer's inheritance in Christ are all communicated in the past tense. Now that is powerful. The the revelation of the redemptive works of Christ, the New Testament revelation of the redemptive works of Christ and the believer's inheritance in Christ are predominantly written in the past tense. Now I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you some examples right quick. Now listen carefully, listen carefully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now he's going to prepare. He's already prepared things for us. Now listen carefully. Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, has redeemed, not going to, has redeemed us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Christ has made us free. Now he's going to make us free. He's already made us free. Now listen at this. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, God who has blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in Christ. He has blessed us. So many Christians trying to get a blessing. They're trying to get God to bless them. The Bible says that God has blessed us. Now notice what it says in Colossians 1.12. It says that God has made us meet the traditional King James Version, Colossians 1.12, or he's qualified us, or he's made us worthy to our inheritance as saints in light. Notice, you're already worthy, you're already qualified, and that's what meet mean in the traditional King James. And then notice what it says in Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his son. Not going to translate us, not going to deliver us. Now, notice what it says in 1 Peter 2.24, by whose stripes you were healed. Not you're going to be healed, you were healed. That's past tense. That's a spiritual reality. That's not a promise. Now, listen at this. 2 Peter 1.3 said, God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not he's going to give it, he's already provided for us everything that we will need for our natural life and our spiritual life. Now, listen, listen, Ooh, wake up, look up, listen up. Now watch this. These are spiritual realities, not promises. Now the problem why we many Christians are not walking in manifestation is because they're mixing hope with God's word. They're not mixing faith. They're mixing hope. Hope is always future. They're mixing hope. Now listen at this. You're not going mi- to get a, a, a manifestation if you are mixing hope. For example, if you're asking God, bless me, then you're not agreeing with what Ephesians 1.3, he says you're blessed. If you're asking God to deliver you, then you're not in agreement with God. The Bible says he's already delivered us. If you ask God, make me free, help me to be free, you're not in agreement because God said he's made us free. God, I want you to heal me. God, I want you to send healing. God, send you he- send healing. No, you're never going to get a manifestation. You're not mixing faith with the word. You're mixing hope. Faith is now. The word says you were healed. You have to agree with that. And agreement says, God, I want to thank you for healing me. I thank you. you. You've already healed me. And I'm so glad. Now you're mixing faith faith. Faith is now hope is future. If you're trying to get God to do what he's already done, then you're mixing hope with the word, not faith, because faith is now, that was worth your time being here. Now let's look at this next statement and I got to move through this one kind of quick, but it's powerful. Strong faith is built on a revelation of God's authority, God's integrity, and God's power. Now, let's talk about each one. Strong faith is built on the, author- on the authority of God's word. Strong faith is built on the integrity of God's word. And strong faith is built on the power of God's word. Now, listen at this. Listen at this. God and his word are one. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. So God and his word was one. For example, you can't separate a person from their word. If you said this, teaching purposes only, this is an example. If you said, I believe Pastor Mike is a good person, but he just lies all the time. See the contradiction? I believe Pastor Mike, the person, is a good person, but he just lies all the time. So what you've done, you've separated what I do and what I did from who I am, but who I am and what I do are together. You can't separate. You can't say I'm a good person and then at the same time say I lie all the time. So when we said the authority of God's word, we're talking about the authority of God. When we talk about the integrity of God's word, we're talking about the integrity of God. When we talk about the power of God's word, we're talking about the power of God. So strong faith is built on the authority of God's word. And authority has to do with origin, rights, and jurisdiction. Okay, so what is the origin of God's word? Well the Bible tells us in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 20 through 21 it says that the scriptures did not come through a private interpretation in other words the holy scriptures the bible did not come through human initiation. It did not come through human will. It's not just the words of a man. And people say, well, man wrote the Bible. No, the Bible says that holy men spoke as they were inspired by God. So the Bible is not the words of a man. The the Bible man wrote the words of God, but the word, the Bible is God's thoughts, his perspective, his feelings, his mind, his will, his atten- intent. So when we talk about the authority of the word, we have to talk about the origin of the word. Secondly, we have to talk about the right of the word, the right of God to be able to dictate uh, our lives. Now, listen at this. God has just claims talking about uh, right. He has just claimed as Creator and Lord. Now you have to remember, God has a right to tell us what to do. He has a right well you can't tell me what to do that's just the bible no no god has the right to tell you and i what to do number one as creator and number two if you're a christian because you are a believer and your life is not yours your life belongs to god you don't have a right to decide out of your own will what's right or wrong. You have to go to what God says in the word because he has the right, because he's the creator and because you confess him as Lord. And then thirdly, jurisdiction. Authority has to do with jurisdiction. The territorial range of the promises. The Bible says in Second Peter 1, 3 and 4 that God has given unto us Everything that we need that pertain to life and godliness, life, godliness, natural life, spiritual life. And by these promises, we are partakers of divine nature. So the jurisdiction, the authority of the scripture covers every area of our life, our natural life, our spiritual life, spirit mental, emotional, physical, social, financial. The scripture covers everything. So strong faith is built upon a revelation of the authority of God's word. It is built on a revelation of the integrity of God's word or the integrity of God. The Bible says, and and integrity has to do with, is God trustworthy? Is he truthful? Is he reliable? Well, the Bible says in Numbers 23, 19, that God is not a man. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man, that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent. Has he said it? Shall he not do it? Has he spoken it? Shall he not make it good? The Bible says in Titus 1, 2, God cannot lie. The Bible says in Hebrews 16, 18, it's impossible for God to lie. Can we trust him? Can we depend on him? Absolutely, because he cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. So when we get his word on the issue, we can stand on it, and it is a rock because God cannot lie. Strong faith is built on the authority of God's word, the integrity of God's word, and it's also built on the power of God's word, the ability of God. The Bible says in Psalms 107, Verse 10 and 20, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound by afflictions Verse 20, Psalms 107, 20 says, he sent his word and delivered them. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and delivered. You see the power of the word, the word will go down no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how dark, maybe you're at the point of death, the word will go down and rescue you. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word no matter what you're dealing with, sickness, disease, depression, discouragement, financial problems, relational problems, he sent his word, the power of God's word. Romans 1:16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. Salvation covers everything. It is the power of God to save you. So strong faith is built on the a revelation of the authority of The integrity and the power of God's word. I want to close out. Listen, you can send any questions or comments in, but I want to close out by giving a testimony. Um, We here at Faith Chapel, I pastor a a wonderful church in Faith Chapel, Birmingham, Faith Chapel, Columbus, and, and we in Birmingham, our congregation got a word from God to build a 3,000-seat sanctuary, I testified to it Sunday, and God instructed us to do it debt-free. And I, I talked about how I almost messed it up through human reasoning, and I can't get into that now. But I want to say this. I and the congregation, we had a word from God to build the dome. We had a revelation from God how uh, many seats We had a revelation from God how it was to be built debt-free. We had what God said on the matter, and God did it. I was sitting on my uh, sofa in my home, and the Spirit of God came on me and gave me a revelation of the activity center that we built. It's a $26 million activity center that... 3,000 seat sanctuary cost $16 million. We pay for it debt free. We have a debt free family activity center that uh, costs $26 million. It has six domes, has a bowling center in it where you bowl. It has an indoor playground for kids. It has a gymnasium. It has Six don't. It is amazing. Twenty-six million dollars is paid debt-free. I had a revelation from the spirit of God. Didn't get it out of the Bible this time, but the spirit of God came on me, and I drew out this activity center. Naturally, we had to get it to the. We had to get it to the architect, and he embellished it some. But we had a revelation from God, and it's all paid for. Now, I had another issue. We tried to we actually bought a hospital and we paid cash for the hospital and we ran into some trouble with the hospital. We, we ran into some situations with our hospital uh, and ultimately we end up selling it. We bought the hospital, paid cash for it, got in there and it was going to cost us around $10 million to uh, renovate, and- Get a besters out and all this kind of stuff. And we we didn't have the resources to to, to pull it off. Uh, and <laughs> we tried to do that at the same time we were building the activity center, which was a mistake. But we got in a storm in that hospital. And when I tried to go back and hear what God had said. I couldn't find anything in my journal. I couldn't find anything. It was a great idea. Everybody was on board, had people we were talking to, people who loved the ministry, was given advice and counsel. There was no negativity about it. The people involved were committed and loved. The advice we were given were good advice. But when I went back, we got in the storm and I went back. I couldn't find anywhere in my journal. I couldn't find anywhere where I had heard from God. Good idea, Great idea, but but I couldn't find it. And I realized that it was just an ambitious project. Listen, when you get nobody, especially if you're a pastor, you listen to me or your business person and you're getting into something where it's millions of dollars and it costs a bunch of money. It should be in any arena, but especially when you get over there, you need to have spent the time to hear from God. Thank God we were able to sell the building, didn't complete it, but we lost time. We lost some resources. Uh, we were able to sell and get what we paid for, but you know, we had invested some other things and, And so we built that on the sand. We built the 3,000-seat sanctuary, debt-free on a rock, built the $26 million activity center with six domes, paid for 100 acres of land, all paid for, 140 acres of land paid for two campuses. And we started another campus in Columbus, so we're a debt-free church, but we're debt-free based off standing on a rock so whose words are you standing on I gotta close this but I want you to make a note of this download this gonna be on uh, our Facebook page on our on YouTube I put it on my Facebook page but you need to go back over this and listen to this. This is very important. So we talked about Focus Foundation and next week we'll begin, next lesson we'll begin to talk about uh, the process of mixing faith with the word. Well, I I have uh, a question, two questions here. Do you think it, it could also be a habit I don't fully have uh insight to that question. Uh, it's an incomplete question, so I don't know how to answer. Do you think it could be a habit? I don't know what if asked in that. Second question: what does Ephesians 1 3 mean? By He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, heaven places. What do these blessings consist of? Here's what I believe Ephesians 1 3. Uh refer to, I believe it refers to our redemptive rights in Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I believe it's our spiritual inheritance in Christ. But I also believe that God has stored away everything that we will need. He's restored it in heavenly places. Everything that we will need to live successfully in our natural life and in our spiritual life, I believe that the resources, the wisdom, the insight, the people, God has already planned it out, resourced it, money has resourced it. And I believe for every God-given vision, every dream consistent with a godly life, I believe that we can take our faith and transfer those things that we need for our natural life and our spiritual life. We can transfer, from, transfer those things from the spirit world to our natural world. I do believe that God, in eternity to pass, thought through what we would need naturally, thought through what we would need spiritually to be a success, whether it's in our life, business, ministry whatever we will need in our personal life, our ministries, our business, our calling, I believe God throughout through the whole thing stored it in heavenly places, and every resource, people resource, money resource, favor resource, uh, wisdom resource, I believe is already stored in uh, heavenly places and we transfer it by mixing faith What I'm teaching now, we mix faith and we transfer from the spirit to the natural. I think that's a good question. I believe Ephesians 1.3 represents everything that we'll need. I believe it's consistent with 2 Peter 1.3. Everything that we will need spiritually and naturally, God has already stored it away. Those things that are consistent with the godly life. Great questions. Great questions. Thank you so very much. I'm going to conclude this uh, podcast. Thank you so very much. Please share it with someone else.